Another edition of the Sunday Forum right here on WMF at 8.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. We're glad to see you. Glad you're here. Glad to be listening. Hey, my name is Walter L. Smith II, your host and the voice of the Tampa Bay area along with the members of the 4th Estate crew. What's up, crew? Hello. Good morning. What's happening? What's happening? Nothing much. All right. All right. All right. Miko. Yes. How was your week? Good. How about yours? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. We had uh, grandbaby birthday time ah. yesterday. 
How old? We are the Irish twins. Mm-hmm. One and two. <laughs> Happy birthday to them. Oh, my <laughs> God, man. Yeah. That was one heck of a time. Mm-hmm. JoJo and Juju. Uh-huh. Josiana Day Martinez and Gianni Danilo Martinez, my grandkids. <laughs> wow. That was one heck of a thing. Yeah. All these kids. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> We're not live streaming this. You can see the the frazzled look on me right now. But we had fun. We had fun. We went to the bounce. What is the place? Oh. Um, like those trampoline places? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, for, for the kids. Uh, pump it up. Pump it up. Shout out to Pump It Up out in Brandon, Florida. Um, that's like a generational thing for us because uh, my son, their uncle, Uncle Walt, uh, had his third, fourth, and fifth birthday parties there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> third, uh, let, me, let me tell you, that was, that was something right there because afterwards, you know, they're worn out. Mm-hmm. You know, so... We had a great time. We had a great time. Miss Rodriguez? Hello. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've had a busy week. A lot of things to update y'all about. All right. All right. We'll get to the news in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Mobili, what's up, man? Hey, what's up? How you doing, brother? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah? Okay. All right. How was your week? Same old, same old. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good thing. Liberation time? <laughs> That's... As usual? Yeah. I've been doing a lot of looking at the news... Where it comes to one of the issues we're going to deal with today, and that is what's happening in jails and prisons. Yes, yes, yes. Today we're going to have, uh, he's in studio with us today. We're going to introduce him again. Um, this is Senator Jeff Brandis, uh, Republican senator right here in the St. Pete area. Uh, we're glad to have him in studio with us. He's one of the champions, if you will, of the of prison reform issues that we've been seeing that we need to have terribly uh, in the state of Florida. Uh, a lot of human rights issues that we speak of quite often on this show uh, we'll be covering, uh, as I promised. We have had this discussion several times, and I did make the promise that we were going to have this discussion, and so we're going to take that deeper dive for about 10, 15 minutes and have an opportunity for you guys to call in and make some comments about it. So if you're watching, uh, if, if you're listening out there, please call in 813-239-9663 when the time comes. Uh, I will let you know. Uh, but Jeff Brandis is in the house with us today. Uh, and we're glad to have him with us. Okay, so the sounds that you hear in the background, the sounds of Miss Erica Badu. And woo! So we're going to start all over again Let you let you get some of that in your ear holes this morning at 8.13 in the morning right here on the Sunday Forum. Check it out. Come on, brother, come on, say, yeah. I 
on the right, we can jam all night. Come on. Yeah, wait. I watch this, watch this, watch this. Well, I came to your show, I respect your flow. Now I wanna know if you wanna go to the studio, fuck a rhyme or two. Well, what you wanna do or what you wanna do? Bring your sex, but I'm cool with that. I got the paper stacked and the kept out track. Got the song and it's on the song. Got the studio locked down all night long. <laughs> So play that track with the crickets in the back. It's so abstract. All right, all right, all right. We're back. 15, 15 after the after the hour, eight o'clock this morning. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Sunday Forum. Uh, we are excited to have you here with us this morning. Um, we have the news coming up right now in this part of the hour. Laura Rodriguez, ¿cómo estás? Estoy bien, ¿y tú? Bueno, 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 bueno. ¿Qué pasa en la noticia? A lot of things have been happening this week. It's been a really active week for Tampa. So this uh, past, I believe it was Wednesday, at the University of South Florida, the Tampa Bay, S our Students for a Democratic Society, had a, held a protest titled Fun Counselors, Not Cops. And it, it's part of their long-term campaign to raise the uh, enrollment and rent retainment of black folks to represent the community that USF lies in. So for the past 10 years, USF has uh, been on the decline for uh, black enrollment. It has fallen from 14 to believed, I believe 10%, really? maybe not even 14. It's been at 10% for a while now. And uh, the community, especially Temple Terrace that USF directly lies in, it has a population of 26.2%, I believe, black folks. And so it's obvious that USF is not um, recruiting. recruiting from the neighborhoods, even though they said in 2020, back when the George Floyd uh, rebellion happened, that they would put all this money and put all these resources to retaining black students. And I know one of the like most racist and appalling things that they said at one point was that um, they don't want to retain, they don't want to like put money into st students that don't do well on like SAT and ACT scores, which we all know is ba based off how much money and resources bias. you have to take these tests. And so they, they're saying that the students who don't do well on those tests aren't able to be retained, so they drop out early and went up. And so that's like their way of saying, like, we don't want black students. So that's what USF SDS has been up to, honestly, for the past three, going on three years now, because they had to reopen the increased black enrollment campaign. So is there is there room for investigation? Um, I... I believe so. What the students are doing is just making sure that other students on campus know. 
uh, what's happening and they're having continuous um, meetings. So they meet, I think, every week to talk about how to increase the campaign profile and to get students on their side against the racist administration. Ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nico, what do y'all think? Where are we on this? I don't know. I guess it it depends on the political will. Mm -hmm. So SDS's main demands are to increase the employment of black counselors to make the school more friendly for black students, to demilitarize the USFPD, because why does the campus police need to be militarized and to overall increase black enrollment? Uh, Yeah, that, that, that's really a slip. I'm, I'm not even... I don't think the terminology slippery slope would be a good terminology. That's foul. That's very foul, it sounds. Because, yeah. okay, so so what are the police being trained for exactly? exactly? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> get rid of the black folks you do have. I mean, what, you know what I'm saying? What, what are we going to do? Frighten them into <laughs> like, boom. <laughs> What is that about, right? I mean, like, wow, man. And I know there have been past members of SDS who have been kind of, like, brutalized by cops on campus and have been not, I don't want to say stalked, but they've been, like, seen. Like, one student was even um, questioned about sleeping in his car, and, like, that's just what students do who commute. Like, what do you mean? I'm I'm taking a nap. Like, (laughs) and so it's often that, the cops on campus just kind of harass students, and then when they want to do like a press tour, they take the dog around. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was a student, I saw the dog plenty of times uh, amid controversies. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's not okay at all. So okay. yeah. So so okay. So here we go. So we have a. a a community where uh, the black population is in excess of 20-some percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which is a significant number, mm-hmm. a very significant number. Not to mention the population that comes in from other places, mm-hmm. right? Um, Daytona, Tallahassee, or wherever they may come from um, outside of the Hillsborough County area. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like the population that's already on campus is already being, I wouldn't use the word terrorized necessarily, but certainly made to feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? That sounds to me very, I mean, dangerously close to the times of um, desegregation in the early years. Like what my mother described mm-hmm. when she when my mother was one of the first seven uh, black people to go to oh. University of Florida, and when she went, uh, she told me about the things they did. You know, it's, it's part of what what you know, part of history. It is what it is. Uh, and so, we now are looking at something very similar here. Mm-hmm. Is what it sounds like. Uh, I think we need to we need to look take a, a deeper dive into this thing. Uh, take a look at it, Mr. Rodriguez. So mm-hmm. let's let's uh, make sure that we're monitoring what's happening on campus since this is 
new to us in terms gotcha, of the news gotcha. and, and kind of let people know. Let's let people know that we do with everything else. Um, what's going on? Just right. different updates. Okay? And I'll let those SDSers know that the news is looking for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're looking for you uh, right here on the Sunday Forum. Uh-oh. 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 We got a call. All right. So we're going to hold off on the call. Hold, hold on. Hold on, call. Hold a second. Hold a second. All right. Um, is there anything else? Any other news? Oh, uh, yeah. So also one quick thing on uh USF, before I kind of scooch on to the next one, mm-hmm. UNF, SDS, had a very similar campaign to increase black enrollment, and they actually won. Um, UNF, UNF, UNF is University of North Florida. Yes. In so, Jacksonville? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. They got the administration to bump up the enrollment um, to match the uh, percentage of black folks in Jacksonville. Um, every year, it's like going up and up until it reaches about the same point, and it's, um, so it's possible, and it's just the USF administration needs to do it. So... Next thing that has happened recently. So yesterday, actually, the Florida Indigenous Alliance had an event, the Indigenous People's Day, No Pride in Genocide. And this event is something they do um, yearly uh, at the at 300 East Bay Boulevard. It's where the Columbus statue is in downtown Tampa. Um, and they are starting a campaign. Yeah, there's a Columbus statue. There's, there's a Columbus statue <laughs> yes. in downtown Tampa? Uh-huh. It's right by the hospital. The one, the Tampa General. Where the hell have I been? <laughs> Dude, really? Yeah. I yeah. did not know that. All this time, I'm a historian, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So go ahead. Go ahead. Please continue. So this event was... Damn. Uh, <laughs> As a part of a, it's the start of their campaign that they're having, because back in the 80s, I believe, they asked city council to take down the statue, but obviously that never happened. And now they're starting a campaign to demand that city council take this down, because this is supporting someone who is quite literally a genocider. And um, and it's also kind of steps for them to make Tampa a safer place for themselves, and it's for the Caribbean uh, Caribbean, Arawak, and Taino lands. The Caribbean, Caribbean Indians. Mm-hmm. The Arawak Indians. And they Indians. had a, a lot of Tainos coming out. and um, A lot of Tainos? Yeah, yeah. yeah there's they're a lot still of, around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it was good to hear about the, you know, historic aspect of... <laughs> Thank you, Mobili. There's been a Taino sighting. <laughs> <laughs> I had one last night at home. <laughs> my wife's my wife's Puerto Rican son. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, so that's really exciting to see that they're going to start a campaign to uh, get that taken down and any uh, steps necessary. And I also talked to, I believe her name was Sharon. Um, she is the Title VI Hillsborough County Chairman and Title VI... Goes directly to or is about the Native American and Alaskan Act, and uh, she was telling me about how Chamberlain and East Bay how they're trying to start a mascot change campaign. Right. So if your students go to their schools, see what's up. <laughs> right, right. You know, people need to understand what Title Six is. Mm-hmm. So what is Title Six? So make sure so make sure we know what it is. A Title Six is the. Um, don't quote me on this. The Native American and Alaskan Native um, 
That's part of it. That's part, part of, of it. it. I don't know exactly the T- word. Title VI <laughs> addresses the issue of racism. Yes. Um, and and um, discrimination uh, policies that are discriminatory mm. that are being used. Like, for instance, redlining, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so Title VI, so we when we use the, title, the term Title VI, we're referring to things that happen at schools, um, uh, in society, the, the broader society, and so forth um, on, on those issues. So... Uh, I think yeah, we're live. We're we're live on the Facebook page. Hey everybody! Uh, so I brought them live on my laptop, and so uh, anyway, that's important. That's very very important. We want to make sure that uh, people are aware of what that means when mm-hmm. we talk about that that type of thing. So it's not just about uh, it's about discrimination with, with regard to everybody. Uh, more specifically, it initially it was started because of. Uh, things that were happening in urban areas of the United States, uh, usually what they call the, the, the inner city areas because of uh, uh, things that, like fair housing and, mm-hmm. and school and education. And uh, one, of the, one of the champions nationally for that was Thurgood Marshall, mm-hmm. right? And uh, for the precursor, and then, goes, then it went into what we know now. So uh, very glad to hear that. Very glad to hear that. But I didn't know it was a daggum uh, uh, Christopher Columbus statue. In, in, where the hell? Uh, I believe 300 East Bay Boulevard or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go there and look at it like it was, it was try. It was so hard to get to it. But yeah, no, it's there. Columbus is right there. It's well hidden. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got um, ham, red handprints all over it from yesterday's event. Yes, mm-hmm. awesome. Awesome. Um, also, the as a, I believe Chamberlain Chamberlain High School actually changed their mascot from the Chief to Storm. So I think that's already been done. So now the process is in East Bay, and you know this is a thing that can happen and does happen with the power of students and the power of parents. Yeah. I know up in Jacksonville they got. Uh, Lee High School to change their name to Riverside High School. Yeah, Lee. Lee High School, Robert E. Uh, Lee. Yep, and with Jacksonville being in the black belt. Well, Ooh. Damn. That's it good. was bad. That's good to know. <laughs> so these things can happen. Okay. Okay. All right. What else we got? All right. I got three more things for y'all. All right. I, a lot of things are happening. That's so uh, the Teamsters Local 79, which is at UPS, had a union meeting the other day. And I just know about it because my roommates are a part of that. And something I found interesting was that the majority of people at the union meetings were retirees. And I guess this is because I'm new to it, but uh, or new to the scene, but I, the most active people being in unions, being retirees, it's just because their pensions are up for right. debate, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the Teamsters recently had an election, which uh, the rank and file really like the people who have been elected because they're fighting and they're, you know, potentially may strike in the upcoming year. And UPS is one of the largest, like, chains of just, like, the labor movement, essentially. Right. It has a lot of workers and a lot of them are unionized. And so that's, I think it's really good to see and, you know, support your local Teamster. <laughs> Go Teamsters. Uh, so, so one of the things that, that we want to keep in mind with regard to that is the fact that um, when, when we look at the lack of numbers in youth uh, uh, or younger people in the Teamsters, in, in the union like that, it's primarily because of lack of education, number one. Number two is because of lack of money, because you got to pay into Teams are just like you have to pay into anything else, right? Um, and and so they don't quite often they don't have the money to be able to afford mm. to pay into something like that, just not making enough. And so um, that's that becomes problematic. That does become problematic 
uh, for a lot of young folks. I know it because that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I've met many, many times um, when I was in the workforce like that to actually uh, discuss that issue with representatives. And like, listen, I support what you're talking about and what you're doing, but I just can't afford mm-hmm. at this salary to be able to do what, what you know, pay what you're asking right now. I got to pay for health care, <laughs> which, which was number one. <laughs> you know, I got a family. I got to pay health care, man. So I got to make a choice. And that's right? a lot of thing that a lot of reasons why the Teamster, what the Teamsters are fighting for, especially for their part time workers who work a very grueling job. And it's like a very necessary job as well. Right. Um, so they're the drivers who get paid the most at UPS and all of the full-time workers are fighting for the part-time workers to get their um, to get their dues, right? right? To get their the money that they deserve. And I believe like local 79, I want to say more than 80% is actually of the workers in the building are actually part of the union. So it's one of the most like <laughs> members. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Active, yeah active, Especially here in the Tampa Bay area. So yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. All right. Um, and then you're going to talk about L.A. for a second with what's been going on over there. And their city council members leaked audio. Mm-hmm. Um, you, did you hear about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's do it. So uh, a couple members of the city council, uh, there was a, I believe it was three minutes leaked of them berating, saying racist, derogatory things to about their, um, one of their coworkers' son, like, yeah. Really? Yeah. It, it was nasty stuff. Was stuff that I don't, what that was? I, stuff I I don't want to repeat. Are you serious? I'm serious. Okay, about so a child. Billy, we got to see if we can find that, that audio. Uh-huh. Well, so we'll, we'll research that, find out more about it, and we got to see if we can find that audio and see if we can get that uh, on air for next week. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people are calling for the three city council members who were on that uh, recording to quit, right. uh, to get the... Uh, Get out long, right. because there's no place uh, anymore for racist. City no, it's council not. It, it, there's, know, there's never been a place for it, but that's that's absurd. That's 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 unreasonable. So now, and let me let me do this, and then we'll we'll uh, move on to uh, the next segment. Let me just say, uh, shout out to my man, brother John Muhammad, over in St. Pete, the newest member of the city council in St. Pete. Okay. My man, John Muhammad. You know John, Billy. John Muhammad. Yeah, Brother John. So, Brother John, your Brother John has been appointed to uh, St. Pete City Council. So, okay. shout out to Brother John. He's a longtime uh, colleague of mine and all many of us, us, us in the organizing world. Uh, he was he uh, works for uh, uh, worked for what was originally Organized Florida, which is now Florida Rising. Uh, he has his own nonprofit. Uh, in St. Pete and has worked in the community there in Pinellas County for a long, long time. And uh, so shout out to Brother John and John Muhammad, and uh, we look forward to hearing from him. We're going to get him on the show. He's already agreed to come on to the show. And we got to have a conversation with him and talk about what his plans are, what he's been working on, what he plans on trying to implement uh, through city council, and uh, you know what? What direction council is going in overall? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are really, really looking forward to that because uh, the last one of the biggest things so far that has happened in, in council um, is the issue of the uh, the, the rent caps, mm-hmm. right? Rent control. That when that was voted down, a lot of people were pissed. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So now we're at a at a, a point now where we're trying to figure out you know what now. Right. Mm-hmm. Same thing in city council here in in Hillsborough in um city in uh, Tampa. Mm-hmm. We try to figure out why in the world that was voted down over here as well. So we got we got some real issues that we mm-hmm. need to resolve with with, with result of that um, because a lot of people are, are are losing housing. A lot of people can't afford housing, uh, and that's a problem. That's mm-hmm. a serious problem, obviously. So we have a crisis in our hands. Uh, so that's that's what's going on. So hey, gracias. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, we'll look for you next time. Ooh, can I say one more thing? What, what, what is it you want to say? <laughs> one last thing, one last thing. Uh, so I misspoke the last time I was on the the um, upcoming vote for Tampa City Council to vote on subpoena powers actually November 1st. Okay. Instead right. of November 2nd. So November 1st, 9 a.m. And we want to make sure that the city council is letting the people vote and allowing us to have the chance to put subpoena power on the ballot. Yes. We don't have the applause thing, but we'll find <laughs> it. But next time, hey. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Good job. Good job, City Council. All right. Hey, thank you, Ms. Rodriguez. Gracias. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, folks, we, it is now 8.35 a.m. this beautiful Sunday morning. This beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, make sure that you change your clocks. Isn't this clock change time, or is it, is, is, am I too early? Yeah. I'm too early. I'm too early. Damn. It's in November. I do this all the time. Can somebody please tell me when I'm the right time, please? Next time. Sure. (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen, ladies. Thank you. Jeez, now look at me now. I look crazy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, listen, folks. We have in the house today. I promised you a discussion about prison reform. We're going to have that discussion about prison reform right here on the Sunday Forum. We have Senator, Republican Senator as that, Jeff Brandis right here on WMNF on the Sunday Forum. The champion regarding prison reform in studio with us this morning. Jeff Brandis, how are you this morning, Senator? Doing great, thank you. All right, is your microphone on? I don't know, is it? Yeah, it is. I, okay. I, I'm hearing it now. I'm hearing it now. Come on this way. Come, you want you want to switch up? We're kicking you out, Miss Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> she monopolizes our show. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Senator, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. All right, all right. Listen, I am I am a big fan uh, with regard to to your positions on prison reform. And uh, first of all, tell everybody who Jeff Brandis is. Sure. I was born and raised in St. Petersburg. I grew up, uh, you know, uh, in St. Pete uh, my entire life. I joined the Army seven days after high school and uh, spent 11 years in the military. Spent 2003, 2004 in Iraq with 101st. I got out of the military. Uh, oh, you were 101st? I was. I was. And got my out brother of the, was in the 101st. Yeah, great. So I got out of the military uh, and uh, thought I was going to come back work, work, and work for my family business, which was a company called Cox Lumber Company at the time okay. that my grandfather had started in 19. 19- 49 and wow. they had they actually ended up selling the company in 2006 uh, and so I decided to run for office uh, right around 2010 and one to, ran for the Florida House uh, spent two years in the Florida House and then ran for the Florida Senate and I'm just finishing up I'll be done in I think 24 days now uh, and I'll be done uh, a decade in the Florida Senate so I've had a, a great run uh, and really enjoyed working on public policy I would say I'm a public policy junkie somebody who really just enjoys diving in trying to solve trying to solve really tough problems. So I work a lot on property insurance, a lot of walk on criminal justice reform, housing affordability is another area that I really
really care about and a lot of work on transportation. So I've been leading on some of those big areas in, in, uh, for, for years in the Florida legislature and really excited about kind of working on that stuff in the future as well. Well, the fact that you that you have been working on that and that um, uh, the first time that I actually watched um, watched you speak publicly, uh, you were working with our good friend Dale Rousson, mm-hmm. Senator Dale Rousson. And I got to say, I was very happy to hear um, your position regarding uh, these issues surrounding uh, prison reform. We did a lot of work early on, and one of our actually best successes so far between myself and Senator Rousson has been working on what we call civil citations for juveniles. So we started the Juvenile Civil Citation Program mm-hmm. and now have shifted that to adult civil citations. So what it does is tries to divert people in lieu of arrest. They get a civil citation. Uh, they still have to, to uh, They still have to work with the law enforcement community in order to kind of make sure that they get everything done to get that civil citation uh, addressed, but they don't get a criminal record. Right. They aren't, they aren't arrested. They aren't given a misdemeanor. So, so for minor crimes, it's a great way of handling these things and let, making sure kids don't get into the system. Right. Because oftentimes when, when kids get into the system, they don't do better because we are putting the resources to getting them better. But if you give them a civil citation, there actually is, it's a resource-based uh, kind of program that ensures that they're getting the help that they need. And, you know, what you find in per, in areas that have civil citation programs is a vast majority of kids never get in trouble again, at least while they're juveniles. So right. it, I think it's a very positive step and one that Senator Rasan and I are really excited to, to sponsor. I remember, I remember uh, the discussion that was held in the panel, uh, a panel discussion that was held in St. Pete, at St. Pete College, mm-hmm. uh, with Senator Rusan. And the one of the questions that was asked had to do with the issue of um, of prison reform, obviously. But a statement that you that you made struck me as profound, and that was the the terminology that you used. For, for me, words mean everything, right? Especially when you're an elected official, and you use the term uh, warehousing, mm-hmm. right? So instead, and, and, and it, you used it in the context of people who are just, you know, they're picked up, arrested, and placed into, into a prison, right? And that's it. There's no, there's no real reform. They're just placed into a prison. Now, that brought me to a letter that, Mobili, do you remember the letter that, that we got um, with regard to that a while back? And, uh, and and they were talking about you know people are just sitting there. We have no mm-hmm. we have no education. We have no there's nothing here. We're just kind of here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that struck me. Uh, first of all, that a Republican had that position, right? And secondly, uh, you know the fact that I was very happy to see that it was not it wasn't really under the context of being politicized, so to speak. You saw, it, it seems to me that it was more of a human rights issue and, and, as opposed to being politicized. That well, I think it's a person of faith issue. I think it's a, whether you're a fiscal conservative and you see how much money we spend in the prison system and not getting the outcomes that we want. Right. If you're a social justice person, somebody who believes in social justice and, you know, that believes that, you know, we should be putting more resources towards the system. I mean, look, whatever you, wherever you come at it from, I don't care. I really don't. I think what I'm focused on is what outcomes do we want? Right. Like, do we want people, because a vast majority of these people inside the prison system, Florida has about 82,000 people in the prison system today. A vast majority of them are going to get out. And what do we want them to get out? Do we want them, when they get out, do we want them to be better 
criminals or do we want them better to reenter society with the skills necessary to succeed? And what you find out in the Florida prison system is we don't, we, we aren't providing that. And so I would argue we don't really have a Department of Corrections in Florida. We have a Department of Warehousing. Because, uh, you know, one of the one of the benefits of being a legislator is you get to go out and tour prisons. You can, I can walk up to any prison in the state of Florida with my ID unannounced, and I can walk up there. I can hand the, the corrections officer my ID, and I'd say, I'd like, you, I'd like to take a prison tour right now. Right. And you know what? They're gonna have. They're gonna find the captain, the the colonel, whoever is on on site there, the warden, and and we're gonna take a tour. And I've taken tours at two o'clock in the morning, and I've taken two o'clock at two o'clock in the afternoon. You say two o'clock in the morning? Oh yeah, show up really early in the morning That's and just walk around, about. right? And so so you get to see these facilities. And I've done dozens of these tours. I've I mean I've seen prisons from from. You know, Century, Florida, down to down to South Florida uh, Reception Center, right? And, and I've toured a lot of them. And what you find out is they're under-resourced. The corrections officers are, you know, about 40% of our corrections officers will quit within the first year of being hired in the Department of Corrections, 60% within two years. So you have a very young, young staff, junior staff. Um, and oftentimes what you, you find is these facilities are basically run at a skeleton crew level. I was I was touring a prison the other day, and they, you know, I was talking to corrections officers, and they were saying, "Listen, we we really can't get these guys out on the yard right now because we don't have enough staff to do that." I mean, there's a reason the governor's calling in the National Guard because they can't attract and retain enough staff inside the prison system, and part of that's pay, but part of that's working conditions. Eighty five percent of Florida's prisons are not air conditioned. And, and what people don't realize is that when you go tour these facilities, you have 1,500 inmates at most of your prisons and oftentimes zero or maybe one educator on the campus. And so they're clearly not teaching 1,500 people. So what, what you realize is, is you, you're not putting any of the resources necessary to actually get these people out with the skills and education necessary. I mean, half of our 80,000 inmates can't read at the sixth grade level, half of them. And so how much are we putting towards, towards resources, towards actually fixing this system? And it's, it's definitely not enough. It's not enough, you know, it's not enough on physical structure because, listen, you get 150 guys or ladies in a facility and it's hot. It's the middle of August and, you know, people get aggressive and temperature go up and, you know, people are upset. But you... you, you you put you in, right. You're putting right? people in a physically uncomfortable position all the time. And yes, prison should be physically. It should be. I'm not trying to make it the Ritz Carlton. Right. What right. I am trying to say is, listen, we send you to prison as punishment. Right. Right. We're not sending you to prison for additional punishment. Right. 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 The the prison is the punishment itself. Right. And and so if you look at what's going on with officer and inmate violence, inmate inmate violence. You know the 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 drugs being brought into the prison system, like for years these things have been going up. Why? Well, it's because you got junior corrections officers. It's because you're not you don't have no no programming going on. You know, most a lot of these facilities a lot struggle to get sporting equipment. They struggle to get coaches to organize activities within the corrections system uh, in the prison system. And so what you have is people just sitting around all day long, idle, hot, miserable. And you go, well, what, 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 what outcome are we going to get if we keep that going on? And the, one of the big challenges you have in Florida is Florida is one of the few states that has both an 85% rule and no parole. Right. Right. Which means there's effectively no way 
to get people out of of the prison, even if they're doing everything right, even if they're you know taking correspondence courses, they're getting education, the they're doing everything right, right? Yeah. It's because they're going to serve, no matter violent or nonviolent, eighty five percent of their sentence. Right. Uh, this yeah. is back to the nineteen nineties truth and sentencing kind of policy that, that people pushed out, yeah. and then Florida hasn't had parole since the nineteen eighties. I mean, we still have people up for parole because they've been in prison since the 1980s, but it isn't many. And 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 you and a parole is another way of allowing some grace by the state to allow people to go back and start living their lives. Now, a lot of people, you know, struggle to, to when they're on parole because you know, they don't want to be released on paper, and you know they struggle to to kind of keep up with everything going on on parole. But a lot of them would take, choose that option still, and Florida should allow, I think, that option of, of parole. Because, again, most states do. And, frankly, a lot of these people, you know, listen, they got a 10-year sentence, 15-year sentence. Within the first two or three years, they figured it out. Like, they don't want to be part of this thing ever again. They don't want to be back here. They don't want to eat this food. They don't want right. to deal with the, the kind of people that they're, they're having to deal with in the prison system. And, and a lot of them are not going to commit new crimes, especially if they're monitored, especially if we're doing the right things on the back end. But we have this kind of gigantic monolithic criminal justice system that now has been underfunded for decades. And this is not a Republican thing. It was underfunded when the Democrats were in charge too. It has been right, underfunded right, for decades, right? Right, right? And 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 now we're trying to change this system, but it's going to take a, such an immense amount of resources. We're talking about billions of dollars of resources to fix this thing. Yet, yet, but there were prisons that were being built still, right? I mean, well, most of the new prisons, I mean, listen, most of the new prisons in Florida are, 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 we only have about seven private prisons, and those are largely kind of late 2000, or sorry, mid-2000s, we started with about, I think, seven different private prisons in the state. Right. Um, but we really haven't built a new prison in the state of Florida in, in decades. We're in the process. So uh, part of this year's budget, it was actually part of the year's budget uh, a couple of years ago, was to do a full evaluation of Florida's prison system. I was going to say, you know, we, I think I think that's one of the things that we probably need to be doing. Absolutely. Well, when you look at when you look at the Florida prison system, the way it was set up, uh, understand most of the people in Florida live in the southern portion of Florida. Right. Where are most of the prisons, they're all in the north. It was created as this jobs program for rural North Florida. Right. Uh, the, well, the problem that you have now is that all of those, many of those individuals have moved from rural areas to urban areas. And so there are, just aren't enough population. There's not enough corrections officers in those communities to actually work at the prison system. Right. And so, and, and you know, people aren't going to drive an hour and a half to work for a job that pays, you know, $15 an hour as a corrections officer or $17 an hour as a corrections officer, right? They, they, are, they aren't going to do that, uh, especially when they have to work in unair-conditioned facilities. They can't bring their cell phone into facilities. They're dealing with people that are, you know, sometimes violent. And, and so, and, and they're in this kind of environment where they don't know whether they're going to have to work an extra four hours or six hours that day. They're often being held over. And this is why you lose 40% of them within the first year of, of, of working there. And so overall, what you see is Florida's prison system is in some varying state of collapse. Um, you're calling in the National Guard. Why? Because you can't hire enough corrections officers. And if you can't hire enough corrections officers, you would have to issue emergency releases, which just means you take everybody who has one month left of prison, and then you would let those guys out. And then you'd look at the guys with two months left of prison, and you'd let those guys out. Well, listen, this, this governor, this legislature is not going not gonna to do mm-hmm. emergency releases. Mm-hmm. They're not going to allow that. So what do they do? They call in the National Guard. Now, the National Guard are going to be dealing with, hopefully not dealing with the data, in, 
day-to-day inmates, but they're not going to do perimeter support. They are going to be managing some of the some of the, the stations so that allows the, the corrections officers to actually deal with the individual inmates. But, you know, um, my, my concern is mission creep. Well, there's a mission creep right they're, you, they're, they're, these guys aren't these guys aren't trained they aren't they aren't there you know they're they're meant to to work on national disasters and other and active you know go overseas and fight wars right. they're not here to to watch every day and and participate in the correction system and while we say they're not going to be doing interactions i guarantee you somewhere along the line well, we're going to find interactions yeah. you don't have those kind of people on that kind of facility and not have interactions right so you know there, there's going to be some mission creep in there and then where does it end Right? Isn't that, is it three hundred today? Is it five hundred tomorrow? Is it a thousand in a week in, in in a year? Because we can't hire enough corrections officers. There's some serious short. There's a serious uh, level of short sightedness, and that's an understatement on the part of the governor, on the part of the legislature. I believe with regard with regard to this issue, and the reason I say that is because as we look at as you're explaining this entire thing, I look at it and I'm saying, okay, we have. A system where we don't have it's, it seems almost orchestrated but one could very easily say it sounds orchestrated however if, if we look at it we have a system where uh, these folks are not are, are underpaid as you as you described underpaid uh, they don't want they, they, they want better but they can't get better so they're leaving right right leaving leaving a with, with with a with a an administration that could do something differently, but is not do something doing something differently, and has resolved resolved uh, itself um, to bring in the national guard. That is callous. Well, I don't know that it's callous. It's, here's my high thing. It's like, let's just define what we want to accomplish, right? Let's start with a vision for what we want, right? We want a functioning prison system that returns people to society better than we found them. Right. But let's just make that that's the case. All right, well, what are we doing to do that? We got to make sure that well, we have people that, that are, that are well, we got to have, make sure we have guards that are, that are, we have to have They're enough well staff. Right. We have to have enough staff. We have to have facilities that are up that are upgraded and are, and are um, that are livable and 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 facilitate right. people getting better. Uh, we we have to have program and support. Florida the Florida prison system is the largest mental health provider in the in the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and so we've got to have resources for for mental health there to assist people who are dealing. I mean, a lot of these people are dealing with trauma from when they were kids, and that's. Okay. Part of the reason they're acting out, and so there's 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 the mental health aspect of it. We've got to have job training program. We have to have basic education programs inside the prison because a lot of these individuals have never finished high school. So let's get them high school education. Let's get them reading, and then we've got to then we've got to have skills based programs. We have to have some college based programs for those that that are. Could, could potentially succeed in college, but we have to have skills based from carpentry to plumbing to ACHV so repair to truck driving and everything else like that. Why has this not been done? Because there hasn't been the resources put there, right? Why? Because but, but Well, why? because because understand the current philosophy of the prison system and, and, and many of those involved in the correction system is, well, just make the penalties harder and keep people in longer. So isn't that callousness? Well, I, when, when you call it callousness, I just think it's, it's, you can put the resources there, you haven't put the resources there, right? You know, you know there's a problem. 
right? So just minimally put the resources there. You haven't seen you haven't seen that. Sure. So so how do we get the resources there? We could take it out of the budget, or what we could do is talk about criminal justice reform at scale, mm-hmm. which is diversion on the front end, things right. like civil citations and uh, and you know drug courts, veterans courts, those types of things that divert people out of the prison system. Uh, we can look at the prison system itself, and we can we can work on fixing the prison system itself, which is new facilities, p- higher pay for corrections officers, actually adding programming. Doing things on the back end because today when you get out of prison, mm-hmm. you get fifty bucks in a bus pass. Right, right. Well, listen, there's no. It's not a shock that people living under a bridge for you know forty eight right. hours later, right? Because they've run out of mo- money. They they you know they can only buy four or five meals at McDonald's for that. Right. Now they got nothing. And the two leading six factors of if we if we say our our desire and our outcome is that we want is that we want people ready to to reenter society. The two leading uh, factors towards that is what kind of family are they going back to? Right. And do they have a job? Right. If they're going back to a stable family and they have a job, there's a very, very low likelihood of recidivism in the future. But the likelihood of that happening... Well, because we have to put the resources towards it, right? Right. We have to ensure that we know we've got a stabilized family to go back to, or we've got to have halfway facilities that help people transition, right? And we have to have them ready and prepared to get a job when they get out. It seems like the resources that you're proposing that get funded are more reactive than proactive. And will cause honestly will cause people a lot more harm in the long run with the civil citations. I'm sure that's more like money and days that people have to take off for like to go to court. And so I think that honestly just hurts in the day to day. And I'm not sure the idea of getting more corrections officers, more this, more that is helpful to the problem that people are being put into the prison system when they don't need to be. And we know that's a historic problem. We know that's an ongoing problem because even the city of Tampa has been investigated for racist police practices of giving more citations to black folks, um, which they say they've stopped. But as of right now, 70% of the people stopped on bikes are black. And we've seen with the racist housing program that they had, it was called crime-free housing, which they had to stop where... um, Families were getting evicted because one person was arrested in the living situation. And even if the charges were dropped, those families were still evicted. And so I think the the what you're kind of saying, our solutions are more reactive that, rather than proactive and don't help. They may help in the immediate, but it's not something that's long-lasting. Well, no, I think you've got to fix a variety of different things within the Florida prisons. Uh, you've got to, in the Department of Corrections, right? Florida has over 100, and 100 different sentences that carry mandatory minimums, right. Where, right. where we right. give right. the right. prosecutors tons of discretion, and we take it away from the judges. Mm-hmm. Right, and the judges have no discretion. I'm always kind of shocked because many of the, remember that, many, that, that, that many of the judges, yeah. you know, were former prosecutors. Right, right, and so when they were prosecutors, they had all of this broad discretion. They could waive mandatory minimums. They could set different sentence links. They could they could argue to the state for all kinds of things. Then they become judges, and we're like, hold on, we're going to take all that discretion, all that knowledge, all that wisdom that you gained as a prosecutor. We're going to remove all of that from you, right. because now we can't trust you because you're a judge. <laughs> right, and so so look at let so you know think some of the things that Senator Rusan, myself, others have proposed is allowing judges to have some discretion for downward departure for mandatory minimums. Right, right, where they see there's these cases are unfair that they're going to get a negative outcome. I mean, there are there are cases with judges with tears in their eyes issuing a sentence that they know is wrong, but they have no choice. But, but they have no choice but to give it. 
And what mandatory minimums really do is they put a sword over the head of the defendant and they say, listen, if you don't take the plea deal, you're facing this. Right. Right. So even if you didn't do it, even if you believe you had a tribal case, even if you believe there's mitigating circumstances to your case, right? Are you, you know, and you're facing 10 years in prison and the, and the state attorney comes and says, listen, we'll give you four or, you know, um, you, you may go, listen, four is better than 10. I'm not, I don't believe I'm guilty, but if I go to trial and I'm found guilty, I got to face a 10 year or 15 year mandatory minimum. I'm taking the deal. Right. 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 And, and you know, that, that occurs every day in the state of Florida. And that's why state attorneys, sheriffs, they love mandatory minimums. Not because most people get them. Most people don't get the mandatory minimum, but because it acts as a sword over the defendant's head and forces a plea deal. Right. And it, Keeps the keeps the docket going, right? Keeps the, the the process going. America no longer really has a trial system. Ninety seven percent of our cases never go to trial in this country. We have a police system. Yeah, yeah. So everybody please. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's that's rough. That's rough. Listen, um, we damn. <laughs> Listen, let's take the first call going into NPR real quick. Um, first caller, and, and then what we'll do, callers, uh, please hang tight. We had to get this information out. Um, to Jeff Brandis is here with us this morning, and we are having one heck of an in-depth conversation here about this issue of prison reform. Well, you're, um, I'm sorry, your but, first call is the, the guest, so you want me to take the second call? But let, let's, take, let's take the second call. Okay. All right. Caller, you're on the Sunday Forum. Hello. Hi. Hi, my name is Keith. I'm calling in to speak with uh, a few questions with the moderator and Senator.